very, very good to be here with you guys. Uh, if you've been here um, attending RCC this year, you know we're traveling through the gospel according to John. It's one of the uh, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life on this earth. It's been a wonderful journey so far. Today we're going to be in chapter uh, 11. We're going to be in chapter 11. I haven't slept for three days, so that's, you're going to get some slip-ups today. That could be fun or that could be dangerous. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful day. I thank you for the fathers that are here. I thank you that your hand is always uh, ready to comfort us. For those of us who this day is a hard day and brings back uh, memories that are good and even sometimes good and hard at the same time. Um, so I just pray that you would comfort us. I pray as we open up your word that you would help us to get a fresh glimpse of who you are. And that we would understand that we're all in process. That you would help us to see where we're at in the process. And, and where we're going, what our next steps should be. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the, the theme of our year as we're going through the Gospel according to John, which is kind of like the reason why we're doing it, it's called A Fresh Glimpse of Jesus. So what we're really after is a fresh glimpse of Jesus, not a new glimpse of Jesus, because uh, lots of people in the church for many years have been in love with Jesus. Jesus has been a part of their lives. And we, but we, for us, we want to just keep our eyes focused on Jesus this year. And we want to search through the gospel according to John, looking for just who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, what Jesus said when he was here, what he did when he was here, what he promised, what he was here, what he's up to. Now, all of this is part of a fresh glimpse of Jesus. And this particular middle section that we're in we're calling it in process. And so the idea is that we're all in process, right? Anybody here not in process? You're completely done? You're perfected? Right? Or even if you think, oh, I'm not perfected, but sometimes you can get caught in this thing where you're like, I'm stuck. I'm not perfected, but I am who I am. I've figured it out, and I'm stuck. And we're here to say, no, you're not. Um, as long as, as, as God is in your life, um, he's, there's always hope, right? There's al he's al you're always in process, Maybe one way of looking at it is like the best way to uh, kind of view life, it can be very confusing, is to say it, we live it moment by moment. You ever heard that? You ever experienced that? Or day by day or moment by moment or even to look at it a little different season by season. You go through different seasons in life, right? You go through different you experience, different things. Some of them are hard to understand. Some of them are easier to understand. Some of them are exciting, right, sometimes. But there's all these seasons. But the point is this. God's hand is always on us, and he's always doing something. We're always in process. And so we're, we're, we're kind of learning about that. And I got a, a really cool picture of that. This week, I, was, I live in Lomita, and I have a, a boxer that's uh, about eight years old, um, Zoe. It's a girl awesome dog, right? And we like to go to walks together. We were walking through Lamita, and I saw this great picture of, of, of this idea of in process, and it was this, this little girl. She looked like she was probably like five or six years old, and her dad was teaching her to ride a bike. I'm walking my dog, and I'm watching this process unfold, and I'm walking down, and basically what he did was he had one hand on the handlebar and one hand on the seat, and he was just encouraging her. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but you could tell he was like, talking to her she looked nervous and he's walking along with her at first right and then he realized he looks down she's not pedaling right but he goes back and he's like no i'm not going to do all of the work you're learning how to ride a bike right so I'm, I'm gonna push and when i push you pedal 
right? And so she's pedaling. You can see this big smile on her face like she's doing it, you know? And then he slowly takes his hand off the, the handlebars, right? And he's still holding onto the seat, and she's going for Then she looks back and realizes, and she starts wobbling. He stops her, encourages her, and eventually, though, I just stop, you know? Like, I'm, like, mesmerized. I'm, like, slash stalker, right? And, and he's, like, he's, like uh, he's going along. He takes the hand off. She looks up and realizes it's going to be okay. She kind of stabilizes it, and she's going, and all of a sudden, he lets go of the seat, and she's, like, and then she rides off into the lawn. Like only she only made it like 15 feet, and they're like celebrating. 15 feet of bike riding, woo! You did it, right? And then I, I, I started getting weird, so I took off, right? <laughs> but but I, but I, I realized like in this picture is such a great picture of what it looks like to be uh, walking with Jesus, our heavenly Father, and how and how He loves us, how He molds us in this process, and we have to trust him, right, his, his hand, but sometimes he takes his hand off, and it gets wobbly, and we don't understand, but always he has a reason for it. You won't always know what the reason is, but he's always got a reason for it, and, but I, and I remember my, my friend one time was telling me about when he was a kid, and his dad um, took him on a hill, right, he had this plan, it's not a, probably the best plan, Right? And he did basically the same thing, and then he, and he, he was going on this hill, and he let go, and he was going, and it was down at the beach, you know, where you go down to Rat Beach? That's a pretty big hill, yeah. right? And he's flying down, and then he, he, he jets over and just bangs into the wall. He falls down, he gets all these scratches, right? And guess what? He didn't want to get up. He didn't want to try again, right? And so our Heavenly Father's not like that, right? But sometimes it feels like that. And sometimes even if, if, if you had this experience, even on the regular sidewalk, sometimes you will fall down and, and, and get scratched up. Guess what? It's part of the process. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. He, he does love you. That's why he put, lets you go through this process. So today in our story, we're really going to highlight, we're going to read 44 verses, right? In John chapter 11. Everyone's excited about reading 44 verses. John chapter 11, but we better get started or we'll never get finished. Right. So John chapter 11, uh, verse uh, one. And the first section, if you're filling in your notes, you're going to feel good about this one because we're going to get to some note filling in stuff. Uh, Living for the glory of God. This first section, we're calling it living for the glory of God. And if you don't know what that means, um, you know, welcome to the club. It's kind of a big Christian term. And it's like you can you can define it, but you can never fully encompass it. It's a big concept living for the glory of God or the glory of God but in Exodus chapter 16 I was reading this week there's this kind of cool picture of it that I want to I want to bring your attention to and basically what's happening is that the Israelites have come out of Egypt God has basically opened the Red Sea miraculously and they've come out of slavery in Egypt and now they're wandering in the desert by, t- by Exodus and, and you get out there in the desert and they're they're thirsty and they're hungry and they get and, they, and they're getting hangry Right? That's when you get hungry and it turns into angry. Right? They're getting hangry. They're getting a little grumpy. They start complaining. And in, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 16, Moses is crying out to God and, uh, about their complaining. And he goes, I'm, tomorrow, I'm going to send you bread from heaven, manna, and quail. Right? Quail. I just watched, a, 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 what is it, Diners, Drives, and what's that show with uh, Guy Ferretti? And they cooked up this awesome quail. And um, it's, I'm off topic right now, but, but they sent him quail, and uh, it looked really good, and, I, and now I'm hungry, okay? But they sent him quail, 
But if you're eating the same thing every day, you, it starts to get old and you start to complain. But he's saying, I'm going to send you manna from heaven. I'm going to send you quail. And then he, he adds this on there. Tomorrow morning, my people will see my glory because I'm going to send them bread from heaven and quail. So there's this picture that the glory of God is how he's going to make himself known to them. I'm going to let them know that I love them, that I am here, that they're going through this hard time in the desert, but I am here and I will provide for them my glory, right? It's how God makes himself known to us through actions or people, how God makes, makes himself known to us, and then how God makes himself known through us sometimes, the glory of God. And we, we see a picture of this in, in the New Testament here in John chapter 11. It says, now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Now, Bethany is right by Jerusalem, and Lazarus is one of Jesus' friends. He has two sisters that show up a lot in the Bible, Mary and Martha. They're always in the story, but you need to know this. They have a brother. His name's Lazarus. So the story's about. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So Mary, actually in, in chapter 12, we're going to see this story. So in chapter 11, he's talking about, so by the time he's writing this, it's, it's clear that everybody, all the Jewish people or the people that are going to read this, he assumes that they know about Mary. And this story, when she anoints his feet, she uses this perfume called Nard, right? Nard by Fabergé. It's kind of like Axe body spray, only it's for adults, right? And, it, and they used it, and they used it actually, it was very expensive. And it's interesting because they would use this nard, when, when someone would die, they would put it all over them, anoint them with it, because as they start to decompose, it's, it gets smelly, and it's supposed to counter, be counterproductive. So, so, so she, she takes this nard, she pours it all over Jesus, right? And he brings it up. That's who Mary is, right? That's the interesting part in the story. He says, so the sisters sent to Jesus, because Lazarus is sick, their brother's sick. They sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God's plan is to use this story for his glory. Now, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Right? You guys catch the irony there? Okay, so he really, they, they send to him, they say, come fast. Lazarus is really sick, right? And G- because he loved him, he waited two more days. That's what he's saying. What? You ever feel like that, though? God, I'm praying and you're not doing what I'm asking. Well, you, you get a little picture. Because he loves you, he might be doing something bigger than you know so now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus so when he heard that lazarus was ill he stayed two days longer in the place where he was then after this he said to the disciples let us go to judea again this the disciples said to him rabbi the jews were just now seeking to kill you to stone you and are you going there again right Jesus has just come from Jerusalem where they literally wanted to kill him. And if you were one of his followers, guess what? They want to kill you too by association. They want to kill your whole group. You're like a revolutionary problem that they want to get rid of. Hence, danger zone, 
Jerusalem equals like if you're at war, the hot zone. This is the hot zone. <laughs> you sure you want to go there, Jesus? They're, they're saying, right? They said, Rabbi, we were just now seek. They were just now seeking to kill you, and you're and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Right? It's good to sleep when you're sick, right? That's what, and drink lots of liquids, right? Uh, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So there's this amazing process we see unfolding, and Jesus is doing so many things on so many levels that have to do with this process, right? Martha and Mary are grieving and, and because their brother has, has died. They're sad. They're going through it, right? It is a hard season. And Jesus says, because I love you, I'm going to wait a little longer because of what I'm going to do. It's a process. They're in process, and, and there's love behind what he's doing. But you can imagine they're frustrated. They're, they don't understand. They're in the position that we're often at when we go through hard times. And Jesus is doing something. He's, there's a process. His disciples, Jesus is using this as a teachable moment. Right? He's saying, I'm glad that I wasn't there because what I'm going to do, you're going to see it, and it's going to bump up your faith. Right? It's going to be like a, a steroids for your faith. This, 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 is, this is an amazing thing. For the people in all over Jerusalem that are going to hear this story, it's, it's, it's going to put Jesus on display. It's going to put the gospel on display. There is a great reason why Jesus is doing this and yet nobody can understand it. They're, from their perspective, they can't understand it, and so it, basically what he's saying is, I'm doing this for the glory of God, and he wants to get his disciples on board. I want you guys to spend the rest of your life living for the glory of God. Well, what are some things that we see in here, that, that kind of attitudes, or, or how can we approach life, how can we see that we're in process that actually helps us to live for the glory of God? The first thing in your notes that we see here is that God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. He, he, he knows they're hurting. They are hurting. But God has a reason for it. God is going to do something good in the middle of their hurt. He's never wastes a hurt. I would say it like this. And, and, and your, your systematic theology may be different than mine, and that's okay. My systematic theology is this. I don't believe God ever does anything or causes anything evil. He doesn't cause bad things to happen. Some people see it in a big picture that maybe he does, but he has a good reason for it. That's okay. I, that's not my systematic theology. It's not a big problem if that's where you're at. I'm okay with that. But here's what I believe. God doesn't, he doesn't uh, uh, cause anything bad to happen. But nothing that happens is outside of his hand and ability to use. So God doesn't cause these little e evil to happen, but he uses everything for his glory, and for your eventual good. God is always able to redeem it. He's always able to use things. So God never wastes a hurt. 
Oswald Chambers said it like this. Living by faith is like this. Faith in living by faith, you never know where you're being led. But 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 it, but but we love and we know the one who is leading us. You don't always know where you're being led. But we love and we know and we trust. We have we put our faith in who God is, not in our circumstances in us. And in in this sense, they have to learn to do th- to do that. The second thing in your notes about living in process is you have to believe this. The safest place is in the center of God's will, right? Jesus starts to get all like Yoda on them and say some confusing things like Jesus often does. And he's like, they're like, let's not go to Jerusalem. It's dangerous. And he's like, there's 12 hours in the day and there's 12 hours at night. And while there's daylight, you don't stumble. And they're like, what? Right. That's if you're reading it, you're like, what? Now, you know what they probably sounded like when when he was first saying it. But what he means is this, in Jewish culture, to live in the day means to live in God's eyesight, to live in God's presence, to live like God is watching. It means to do what God wants you to do. Living at the ni- in night is like, is like believing that God's not watching or going, going outside of God where God is, doing outside of where God is calling you. It's like when we say, I'm just doing what I want to do. I'm just doing what's going to make me happy. I know it's not what God wants me to do, but I'm just doing what makes me happy. It's like, it's like you're going a different path than God says is good because you think you're smarter than God. Is really what it comes down to. And he's like, while we live in the day, the other part of this is that 12 hours represents there's only so much time in the day. Jesus only has so much time left. He has a, a, about a month left to live on this earth. There's about a month left in his ministry is a good kind of estimate at this point. Right. And so Jesus is saying there's only 12 more hours. As long as there's daylight, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to I'm going to go to Jerusalem, even though it feels dangerous. If God is calling me there, the safest place is in God's will. Sometimes God will call you to do things that that seem hard, that seem dangerous. They don't seem like the safest route. They don't seem like the, the route that makes the most sense. Trust God and believe that that's the right way to go. The way God is leading you, though it, though it doesn't make sense, it, it's always the right way. That's an attitude. The safest place is in the center of God's will, so they are going to go to Jerusalem. Now, here's the, the, the point, point C. God may be doing something deeper than you understand. Right? At all times, when you don't understand, guess what? God is probably doing something deeper than you know. Deeper than you can understand. And he tells them that. He's doing something deeper in their inner being. In his disciples, he's doing something that's going to grow their faith. He's growing them. He's strengthening them. He's preparing them. Because once he dies and rises from the dead, he's going to give his mission to them. They're going to live the rest of their lives for the glory of God. He's preparing them. God's doing a lot in this story. And we see this cool picture. How many of you guys have ever heard of Thomas, right? He's one of the disciples. Who knows what his nickname is? Doubting Thomas. You guys say that. You know that that doesn't say that. He doesn't call him that in the Bible. We get that out of the last story, right? Doubting Thomas because after Jesus rose from the dead, they were talking about it, but he hadn't seen him yet. And he goes, unless I see with my own eyes, I won't believe. And then Jesus reveals himself to him. So we call him Doubting Thomas. Right here in this story, you know what I call him? Punk Rock Thomas. Punk Rock Thomas is the one, he's like, 
He's like, okay, I don't know if I want to go to Jerusalem. It looks dangerous. And Jesus is like, no, God's calling us to go. Let's go. He's like, well, then I'm coming with you even if I have to die. Right? It's like you just, you just expect some power chords to start coming and an awesome punk rock song. This is Thomas's punk rock. Thomas. Okay? From now on. Now we see in the next section that God won't always meet your expectations. God won't always meet your expectations. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them uh, during their, uh, con- to concern, uh, concerning their brother. So what's going on here is Jewish custom is like this. The day you die, they would put you in a tomb. So they bury you in a tomb. They don't bury you because they put you in a tomb. It's usually like a cave with a, with a stone that will roll over, right? They put you in a tomb on day one. For seven days, people in the Jewish culture would come and sit with you, spend time with you. You even usually like hire someone to pay a, play a flute, and people would come. It was called sitting shiva. That's a Jewish thing. You would sit shiva. You would spend, you would, you would mourn. You would, people would stop what they're doing and come be with you. That's a healthy thing, right? We can learn from that in our culture, to p- be with people as they're mourning. They would spend a whole year in the tomb, right? And it was a year process. After a year, they would open up the tomb, and now you'd decompose. They would take your bones, put it in, a, in an ossuary box or a, a bone box, and they, would, and they would put you in a final resting place, basically. That was the whole process. They're now on day four, okay? Out of a seven-day process of sitting Shiva. People are there. It's very crowded, There's only two really acceptable things if you're mourning, and one was to stay at your house and mourn with these people. The other thing was to go to the gravesite and 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 cry and mourn there, right? So, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So, Martha's the oldest sister. She's in charge of hospitality. She hears Jesus there. She goes out to greet him. That would be normal, right? So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes and believes in me shall, shall never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. God won't always meet your expectations. I imagine that Martha and Mary, they sent to Jesus because they knew that he was healing people. They had seen it with their own eyes. They thought if Jesus could only come, he can just heal Lazarus. He can he could stop this from happening when it doesn't happen. It's now been four days. Imagine how they feel. Go there with them. Sit shiva with them for a moment. It hurts. They're sad. They're angry. They're frustrated. It doesn't make sense. They have questions. God, I have some questions for you. 
I don't understand why, if you love Lazarus so much, you would let him die, and yet I've seen you with perfect strangers. I've seen you do amazing things and heal them. This makes no sense to me, is what they're saying. she's saying. God won't always meet your expectations. Letter A is this, um, it's okay to complain to God. It's okay to complain to God. Y- we need to give each other permission. Sometimes when it's hard, it's okay. Now here's the difference. When Moses was leading the people um, in the desert, what were they doing? They were complaining to Moses about God. That's not what you do. They were complaining to Moses about God. Martha goes right to God and goes, God, I, got, I, I, I need you to help me with this. I'm hurting. It doesn't make sense. If you were here, you, you could have done something. But I still believe. But I don't, I don't understand. Right? So Martha's struggling with this. It's okay to complain to God. It's just like this. You know, when, when you're frustrated with someone else and you go talk with someone else about them, what's that called? Gossip. But when you're frustrated with someone and you go straight to God, what's that called? That's called prayer. That's how we deal with it. We get overwhelmed in our lives, and that's normal. Where you run is what makes the difference, right? And, the, and she's going right to God. It's okay to complain. When, when, uh, when Brittany and Chelsea, um, Brittany is, one, is on staff here, one of, one of our pastors, and, and she was, uh, her dad just passed away. And I went and sat with them for a little while. Sitting shiva with people is good. We just sat. And, and God gave this psalm to Chelsea, Psalm 77. If you read it, it's complaining to God. David is crying out, I don't understand, Psalm 77. Read Habakkuk. It's an Old Testament prophet. There's only three chapters. You know what the first two chapters are? Why, God, why are you letting this happen? It's complaining to God. Two chapters, two-thirds of the book. And then the last one, he's, he, 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 God gives him enough to strengthen him, and his attitude is readjusted. But he took it to God. It's okay to complain to God. And then we see that a lot of times, always, but in most circumstances, Jesus is what you really need. She goes, I, I, he goes, uh, you know, honey, Lazarus, he's going to come back. And he's talking about, like, really soon. She doesn't know what he's saying. She thinks he's, like, doing that bumper uh, sticker consoling, like, don't worry, he's in a better place, right? We do that, like, like oh, you know, it's better that he's with God now, right? We'll see him again one day. That's what she thinks he's saying. He has another meaning. She goes, he, I know he'll rise again on the, on the last day, right? What does Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. What he means is this. He means some people look forward to heaven because of the golden, you know, the gold and the pearly gates and no more tears. And we look forward to like this like comfortable lifestyle that it sounds like. And, and guess what? If you, if, if, if you don't realize that the greatest thing about heaven is Jesus. When you get to heaven, you're going to see him face to face. If that's not what excites you about heaven, you're missing the mark. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the resurrection. You already have the resurrection. You already have life. In John 17, Jesus says, you know what eternal life is? You know what life is like eternally? It's knowing God. It's having a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, guess what? Your eternal life has already begun. You're already in eternity. From the day you meet God, because he is the life 
and the resurrection. What does she think she needs? I don't know. Maybe she thinks she needs like another chance. I need more time with Lazarus. I need I need uh, my emotions to get unchecked. Maybe I need something to do. I Martha seems like the kind of person like like her coping mechanism was be busy, right? I need something to do. I can't sit here with you anymore, Jesus. But he's like, no, you need me. You need me. I'm what you need. In the process, we need Jesus. And then let her see, this might sound familiar, it's on purpose, it's not a typo. God may be doing something deeper than you understand. She doesn't understand what he's even talking about, but God is doing something deeper than Martha understands. Now we're going to see a different perspective, a different sister, a different way of hurting, and this section is called, God will be there as you go through it. How many of you guys know God won't always take away your pain, but he'll always walk with you through every season? Verse 28, when Jesus had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So Jesus asked for Mary. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Remember, those are the two acceptable things. You either stay there or you go to the tomb. So that's a good assumption that they're making. They're wrong. They're being led out to see the glory of God, to see Jesus. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now commentators have, uh, they argue about uh, what this means. What, what is Jesus' experience? First of all, we know in Greek it's not the Holy Spirit. It's in his spirit. It's like in his deep inner, but something deep is happening in Jesus. And it says, um, it says when he has this experience, um, it says he's greatly troubled, Right? And it says he's deeply moved. The Greek word for deeply moved is, is like when, a, when you see a horse. You ever seen a horse and the horse gets kind of angry or frustrated and it, go, it makes a noise like, or something like that, something like that, right? That's this word. You can almost imagine Jesus like, he didn't do that. But that's the same word. So Jesus is having this like outburst, deep like response, right, to this. And he's greatly troubled. Some people believe that what Jesus is doing is he's frustrated because the Jews are sad and the way that they're doing it. I just can't buy into that. I don't think that that fits the story. I think Jesus is looking at Mary, and he's already looked at Martha, and he loves them so much, and he sees the pain that they're going through, and it moves him. <laughs> it moves him. Even though he knows it's going to be okay, he sits shiva with them. He doesn't go to the end of the week. He sits with them in their pain. He says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
The word here for Martha's crying is she was outburst crying. The word, the Greek word here for Jesus wept is a single tear perhaps drops down. He's moved. He's in the moment with her. It's, he's touched. His love is showing. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. The Jews get it, right? They see that this response is love. He loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? That makes sense, right? That's probably what I would have thought. Now here's some, here's some, uh, some points. It's okay to bring your hurt to God. Just like Martha brings her complaining to God, that's how she's processing it. She falls at her feet, she's crying, and she brings her hurt to God. It's okay when you're hurting to go to God in these moments. It's good to do that. She says, Lord, if you had been here, she's hurting. Jesus is moved by this, and he sits with her. Let her be as this. Jesus hurts when you hurt. When you're going through a hard time, Jesus doesn't always fix it for you, but he always goes through it with you, and he always has a purpose for it. You won't always even know what the purpose is, but that's where we don't trust in the circumstances. We trust in who he is. He always has a good reason. Get that locked in you, because there's going to be a season in your life when you will struggle with that. I don't understand. God, but I trust you in my misunderstanding, in my brokenness. And God may be doing something deeper than you understand. It's perplexing, right? God is always able, he's always able to do something. God can always change every circumstance. He's sovereign. But he doesn't always change every circumstance. You see that at the end of the story. They're like, he could have, he heals this blind guy. How come he won't heal Lazarus, who he loves? He has a personal relationship with. It makes no sense to them. It doesn't give an answer into the story. Why does he do that necessarily? Although we can get some inference, right? But, 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 but what he's saying is this. God's always able. He doesn't always do what we ask him to do but he always takes care of us in the best way possible. He always has a reason. The last part of this is, uh, is that his sheep obey his voice. In chapter 10, we see this. We're his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice. Here we see a live, interactive uh, 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 skit or story of, of this come to life. Jesus is the shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. That was normal if you're Jewish. That's how, remember, it was a year you would stay in there, then they would take your bones, right? So they had rolled the tomb on there. They had already put nard all over him, right? They had they embalmed him. They had, they had wrapped him in clothes. They put a sweat cloth on his face, right? Lazarus is in there. He's been dead for four days. Jewish superstition in that time, it's not biblical, it's not right, but Jesus must have known this. Jewish superstition was this, that when you died, for three days they believed your, your body would hang around, right? Your spirit would hang around your body. So for three days, there was always a chance, like something could happen. That was, even though it doesn't make sense medically, to the Jewish mind in their time, resuscitation was still possible for three days. When does Jesus show up? 
on the day, the first day when there's no hope, hope shows up. And Je- then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I'm a paramedic. I've gone into houses where someone's dead for four days. I can tell you this. They're right. But it also shows you this. Jesus has said, I'm the resurrection. I'm going to raise them. Martha still doesn't understand. She still thinks, why would we do that? <laughs> why would we open it up? It's, it's, there's no good reason, right? Like, we're, we're, we'll deal with it. We're already, we've already been through enough. I don't need to see his decaying body. She must have been thinking, right? Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth, a sweat cloth. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. <laughs> Love the worship team come back up. His sheep always hear his voice, and they know his voice. The first thing in here that we see is obedience precedes understanding. Many times, obedience precedes understanding what i mean by that is when you don't understand when god asks you to do something and you don't understand do it later you'll probably understand obey even when you don't understand because obedience precedes understanding in god's economy if you're going to live for the glory of god we obey god and we trust him with the results we obey him and we let him take care of the rest Martha still doesn't understand. I don't understand what you're doing, but, it, but you, told me to, you told me to remove the stone. It would have been on Martha's word that they would have, she, was a, she basically had the, the, the right of eternity, right? Right of eternity. She's the oldest sister, the oldest sibling. She would have said, okay, move away the stone. So Martha's direction based on Jesus' direction. She still doesn't understand, but she does it. Because obedience proceeds understanding. She hears Jesus' voice. She knows he's her shepherd. She asks the question at first, but then when he gives her a little bit more encouragement, she goes, okay, God, because it's you, I'll do it. Remember Peter when he's in the boat? God, I don't understand. You're asking me to put my net down. I have been fishing all night. There's no fish in there. But because it's you, I'll do it. That's an attitude. Do we have that attitude? God, because it's you, I'll do it. Jesus is obeying his father, we see in this. Jesus is obeying his father. He prays out loud. He says, I want them to see that I'm doing what you sent me to do. Jesus is just obeying his father. That's why he went to danger zone. He went to the danger zone. Why? Because God told him to. He he, he, he healed Lazarus. Why? Because God told him to. And lastly, we see that Lazarus heard his voice and he came out. 
Some commentators believe that in most of Jesus' healings, he doesn't call him out by name. He doesn't go, on this one he goes, Lazarus, come out. Some have speculated that if he hadn't done that, he had so much authority and he was at a gravesite. If he had just said, come out, everybody would have come out. So he has to be specific. Lazarus, come out. He starts walking out. Imagine that moment if you're Mary and Martha. He's wrapped up like a mummy, right? And he walks out of the tomb. It's, he's so wrapped up that he's stiff. And he's probably, he's probably having a hard time breathing. He says, remove all that stuff. Let him go. Lazarus is free. He's been raised from the dead at Jesus' command. As we prepare for worship, I, I, I just have one question. What is Jesus calling you to? This morning, have you heard his voice? What is he saying? Is he calling you a little deeper? Are you going through a season where you can legitimately say, I really, my life makes no sense? Is he just calling out to you saying, it makes sense to me? Keep holding on to my hand and keep taking one step at a time. I got you. Are you willing to keep taking those steps? One more step, God. One more step, God. Is God calling you to something that seems hard? Maybe other people are like, don't go do it. That sounds dangerous. But you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to do it. I could say that about planting a church. I did not want to plant this church. Everyone told me not to do it because it's hard and you already have a job and all these other reasons. But I knew that I knew that I knew that God wanted me to do it. I didn't understand. I said, okay. And look what God has done. And God is like that. We are in process. God is in control of the process. Let's worship the God of the process right now.